If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 20th chapter, the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 19, as we continue our study through the Word. Now, you'll remember that it was early in the morning, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, and it was empty. She comes back, races back to Peter and John, and tells them that, the, the Lord's body has been stolen. And, and you remember that Peter then races with John to the tomb. And John gets there first and he peers in. Peter gets there afterwards and he pushes in. And, and there are the grave clothes that are undisturbed. The handkerchief has been folded neatly and set to the side. And, and you'll remember that that John understood, he perceived, and, and he believed. He believed that something supernatural had happened. He didn't know exactly what had happened, but it says, and then the disciples went away again to their own homes and pondering these things. And you remember that Mary Magdalene circles back to the tomb and, and she is just weeping there and she peers in and there is two angels, one at the head and one at the foot. And, and you remember that they ask her now, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have placed her. And then Mary perceives that there is someone behind her and she turns and looks and it's Jesus, but she doesn't recognize it in Jesus. And she thinks that he's the gardener and she says to him, Lord, Rather, if you know where they have taken my lords, my Lord, sir, then I will take him away. And, and you remember that Jesus then says to her, Mary. And it's at that moment when Jesus calls her name that she recognizes that it is him and she wraps her arms uh, around him and and hugs him and and you remember that he says don't cling to me for i've not yet ascended to my father but go to my brethren and say to them i am ascending to my father and to your father to my god and to your god and and mary came and told the disciples the things that she had seen and, and the things that he had spoken to her and mary becomes the very first witness of the resurrection we see now here in verse 19 that it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. The first news uh, arrived uh, now in the night, the sounds of knocking on the door. You'll Remember that two disciples were allowed in. They breathlessly tell the rest of the group that they had met Jesus on the road to Emmaus and that they had talked with him most of the day. We 
see through the synoptic gospels in John that the first appearance of Jesus after his resurrection was to Mary. Matthew tells us that the other women at the tomb saw him next. And then Luke tells us that the Lord met Peter there in Jerusalem. And Mark and Luke both tell us about the, the two travelers on the road to Emmaus. And and now they can come back and excitedly and tell the others and and the others are here behind these closed doors and it's evening when jesus left the disciples there on the road to emmaus and and you remember that as they were going past emmaus that they said to Jesus, abide with us for the evening is drawing on. And so he went into the house and sat down with them. And you remember that when he takes the bread and he breaks the bread and blesses it, that they suddenly recognize that it's the Lord. Many people believe that when Jesus breaks the bread, that it's the first time they see his hands and they see his nail-pierced hands as he breaks and blesses the bread. And they recognize that it's the Lord. And the Lord then departs and, and they immediately head back from Emmaus back to Jerusalem. And, and it says that they were gathered together there for fear of the Jews. The doors were shut. And, and, and now their big fear was that the Sanhedrin was going to send for them next and that they also would be tried and they also would be crucified like Jesus was. And so every sound in the street, every noise, every bark of a dog now was creating in them anxiety that, that they were going to be arrested. And, and so they have the doors bolted, they have the doors uh, locked, and, and it says that Jesus came and stood in the midst and so he just uh, enters uh, and he passes right through the closed doors and, and then he announces, peace be with you. I can't imagine what happened, what the response was of those that were in the room when Jesus just passes and through the door and is standing in the midst of them. But here's what I do know, that the first word that he says to them is peace. Peace. You see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He came from heaven to bring peace uh, on earth, goodwill towards uh, men. And so now the Lamb of God that's taken away the sins of the world, he has conquered sin, he has conquered death, he has conquered the grave, and, and now he comes, shalom, peace. And, and it is this an abiding peace. It means may God give you every good thing. It means far more than just may you be saved from trouble, but it is may the, the multitude of God's blessing be upon you. It is the, the shalom, the peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus gives them the assurance about who he is and that he has really risen from the, the dead. In the other gospels, he says, see, handle me. See if it's not me. And, and so he confirms his identity now with the disciples. And verse 21 and so Jesus said to them again, 
peace to you. I think that they're stunned. Do you not think that uh, when Jesus has arisen and he says, peace to you, and, and they're still standing there, and he, he identifies himself, and then he's like, let's start again. Peace. You know, I've, I've brought you peace. Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I, I also send you. And, and so he repeats that greeting, but but then also we see that he gives his disciples a mission to continue the work here upon the earth, that the kingdom of God is now open. The gates of heaven are unlocked and Christ will walk through them and we now are going to be invited to walk through with him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and so now in Christ has come to expand the kingdom here upon earth that we might have the forgiveness of our sins and when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the Holy Spirit and so Jesus now breathes upon them and and we see that he gives the Holy Spirit. Remember that he said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Remember that he said that it was going to be more profitable for you that if I depart because you will now have the helper, the, the comfort. And here we see the the breathing of the Holy Spirit, the imparting of the Holy Spirit. This is the, the moment when they become born again. This is the moment when they now are saved. When a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, believes in who? The resurrected Christ. You see, this is their first opportunity to believe in the resurrected Christ. And so, as they put their faith in Christ, what happens? They are now born again. This second birth that Nicodemus had been asking, how does a person enter into the, the kingdom of God? And, and he says that you have to be born a, a second time. When you are born a second time, you're born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. And don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You must be regenerated by the Spirit of God. And when you accept Christ, you are given now the Holy Spirit is placed inside of you. Here Jesus is placing the Holy Spirit inside of these first believers. And, and so we are seeing now the birth of the church and the firstborn now of the resurrection Jesus is. And he brings with him life and he imparts that life now to them. We see that this is the second of the threefold relationship of the believer with the, the Spirit. We first have the Holy Spirit alongside of us. Para uh, is the preposition. And, and now we have the Holy Spirit within the disciples. That's when you become safe. But then there is going to be an upon, a, an epi that is going to happen. And that is when you have the deutimus, you have the power of God to be able to build the kingdom of God. That's going to come upon them on the day of Pentecost when they are going to have the cloves of fire over their head and Peter is going to stand up and, and preach a powerful message and 3,000 people are going to get saved. They are going to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, and so here we see born again by the Spirit. We 
See the baptism of the Spirit, that is the coming upon, that's different than what we're seeing here. The baptism of the, the Spirit is, is that separate filling that goes forth to witness uh, effectively. And, and so, Jesus uh, here, in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, it's interesting here that Jesus gives his disciples authority, but listen, to announce the forgiveness and to warn of the guilt as authorized by the Holy Spirit. They do not have the power to forgive sins. Only God has that. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So all that we can do as Christians is to announce the message of forgiveness. God is the one that performs the miracle of forgiveness. And if sinners believe in Christ, we have the authority to declare to them that their sins have been forgiven. But we're not the ones who provide the forgiveness. We're the ones that announce the forgiveness that has taken place. And, and so the, right, the disciples now are, are given the right to declare the forgiveness of, uh, of sins. And, and so the disciples go out preaching now and some people will repent of their sins and they will receive Jesus as their Lord. The disciples now are authorized to be able to tell them that their sins have been forgiven them when they put their faith in, in Christ. Now, others refuse to repent, won't believe uh, in Christ. And so the disciples have the authority to, to tell them that their sins are still upon them. And if they die in that condition, that they will be eternally separated from God. So the disciples don't provide the forgiveness, but they proclaim the forgiveness based on the message of the gospel. Now Thomas called the twin, verse 24, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so now there was one who was absent. Thomas was not there. We don't know where Thomas was. Nothing is given to us as to where he was. I wonder where he was. Why was he not there with, with the other ten? Was there an urgent matter that came up? Or I think that it was his grief. I think that he was just so deeply grieved over the, the Lord's death that, that he just couldn't muster up the, the strength to come and to be with others. And, and so, for whatever reason, we find that Thomas is not there with the others. And and he is grieving deeply. And, and the others come and say, we've seen the Lord. And he's like, yeah, right. Sure you have. He's not in a place to be able to receive the good news that has just been brought to him. And, and he goes on in verse 25. And so he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails. Put my hand into his side. I will not believe. 
Thomas becomes given the moniker Doubting Thomas. You have probably heard that expression. You're a Doubting Thomas. Someone comes and brings you good news and you won't believe the good news. And, and they say, oh, you're a, a Doubting Thomas. But really what we see is that he is not uh, willing to accept the testimony of, uh, of others. To Thomas, the cross was just exactly what he had expected. You remember that when Jesus had proposed to go to Bethany after the news of Lazarus' illness, that, that Thomas's reaction was, let us also go that we may die with him. He, he was the one that saw doom and gloom. He was the one that was concerned that Jerusalem held the death of, uh, of the Lord. And, and now exactly his worst nightmare has come true. The very thing that he feared in the pit of his stomach. Not only had he feared it, but he had even given voice to it as well. And Thomas didn't lack courage. Thomas was willing to go to Jerusalem and die with Jesus if necessary, but it does seem that he was a pessimist. There's not a doubt that he loved the Lord. He loved him enough to be willing to go to Jerusalem and die with him. But what he had expected had happened, and when it happened, he was brokenhearted. And there in that broken-hearted condition, the others come and, and give him good news. And, and Thomas won't have any part of it. He locks himself down. He shuts himself down. And he holds on to his unbelief. He stays locked in that condition for a week's time, eight days. He stays in a place of of darkness and it says that after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them and Jesus came the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said peace to you shalom to you again the Lord enters in a miraculous way again the greeting is the same peace to you and then he said to Thomas Reach your finger here and look at my hands. I wonder if when Jesus appeared, Thomas was the closest to him. Or I wonder if he took a step over to Thomas and showed him his hands. I wonder if Thomas's eyes locked on to the Lord's eyes or as the Lord directed his and the eyes to his hands if his eyes were down on the ground and, and now raised up to his hands. Thomas, reach your fingers here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. We see that Jesus ministers to the words that Thomas himself had spoken the week prior. 
Notice that Peter doesn't speak up to tell Jesus what Thomas's reaction was to their testimony. Lord, I'm so glad you're here. Thomas did not believe when we told him that we had seen you. <laughs> but notice how gently the Lord deals with Thomas. He met Thomas right, right where he's at. <laughs> and then lifted him up and helped him. I'm always amazed at how gentle the Lord is in the development of your faith, in the development of my faith. That when we fail, when we struggle, when we are weak, and there are times that we are and that we do, that the Lord is not there with a sharp rebuke and a crack of a cane, but with a gentleness, with a forgiveness, the loving admonition to encourage and exhort and to help us along a, a bruised reed he won't break and a smoking flax and he, he won't extinguish it. The gentleness of the Lord. He, he is cultivating a deeper, more abiding relationship with each and every one of us. And, and he knows just exactly where you are along that in progress. Jesus repeats Thomas's demands back to him. And this had to have been impressive to Thomas and humbling and convincing all at the same time. But at the same time, notice that he does command him to cease in his unbelief and to start believing. Do not be unbelieving but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. We see Lord and God are both titles of deity and Thomas here boldly and explicitly assigns these titles now to the Lord. And, and notice that Jesus accepts these titles. He doesn't tell Thomas, don't call me that, you'll... Remember when Peter comes into the house of Cornelius and Cornelius falls at his feet and Peter says to him, stand up, I'm a man also. And remember in the book of Acts when the people of Lystra start worshiping Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas rip their clothes and say, stop, we are men of like passions and when John falls down before the angel in Revelation, the angel says, do not do that. And here we see that when Jesus is worshipped as my Lord and my God, notice that he receives that because he is Lord and God. Thomas's response is a confession of Christ's deity. And Jesus and said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We see that Christ's words transcend uh, 
and address themselves to all Christians of all times. You see, we are those that have believed and have not seen, that have put our faith in the Lord. And we see that really the faith of Thomas is the climax now of, of this gospel. Jesus has triumphed over sickness. He has triumphed over sin, over evil, over men, over death, over sorrow. And now, what does he conquer? Unbelief. He conquers unbelief. In verse 30, it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Not all the miracles that Jesus performed are recorded in the Gospels. The Holy Spirit selected those signs that would best serve the purpose But John writes, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so here we have the purpose that John picked up the pen, moved by the Spirit. He wasn't writing a biography to entertain or a historical account to enlighten us with greater details it was so that the readers may believe that Jesus is the true Messiah the son of God and that when you put your faith in him that that you have eternal life we see that the aim of the gospels is not to give information but to impart life life in his name The ten disciples were changed from fear to courage and and Thomas was changed from unbelief to confidence and now John invites us to trust Jesus Christ and to be changed from death to eternal life. As we close our studies here, really it's this verse 27 that I wanted to focus on where Jesus tells them to reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. We see that Thomas exemplifies love and loyalty. He was willing to go with Christ to Jerusalem because he couldn't face the prospect of, of life without him. And Thomas also exemplifies an inquiring spirit when puzzled by Christ's reference to the way. Th- Thomas is the one that spoke up with the question. We don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. And Thomas had been there when Jesus raised Lazarus. So why should he question the Lord's resurrection? He still wanted proof. He still wanted the seeing is 
believing kind of proof. Thomas's words help uh, us to understand the difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt says, I cannot believe. There are too many problems. Unbelief says, I will not believe unless you give me the evidence that I ask for. In Greek, it's actually a double negative. I positively will not believe. And then Thomas was faced with his own words and he had to make a decision. And what does the Lord say to him? Do not be unbelieving. The Lord meets Thomas just exactly where he's at. And tonight you might be in a place where you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It could be that you've got questions. You, you have a list of questions. And, and until you get every single question answered, you are not going to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. You might have the question, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? And until I know the answer to that, <laughs> I will not believe. And, and there are many other questions that, that people can, can struggle with and they can string them together and say, until I know every single thing that there is, I will not believe. Jesus tells Thomas, do not be unbelieving. In other words, you've been given enough to believe. You have been given enough to believe. And what is that enough? In each and every one of our lives, there came a moment when there was enough, when the Spirit moved in our heart and life and confirmed the things that we had been told and that we had read that it's true. And there was a confirmation of the Spirit within us that was telling us. The Holy Spirit bearing witness that these things are, are true. And we stopped resisting the pull of the Holy Spirit Peter will say that you are stiff-necked and uncircumcised and in spirit you always do resist the work of the Holy Spirit. But yet there is a, a surrender that takes place to truth. Surrender to the Lord. Surrender by faith to, to these things that are true. And, and what happens is when you surrender, that moment of surrender is that place of your second birth. It's that moment now when, when you open yourself up and allow the Holy Spirit of God to be placed inside of you and, and you become a new creation. All things have passed away and you become truly born again. Does it mean that you will now know the answer to every single question that there is? No. You will never know all of the answers to all of the questions. Why not? Because 
God's ways are so far above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And how can a finite mind and being completely understand an infinite God and being? But hear the voice of the Lord. Hear him say to you, stop your unbelief. Stop. And be believing. Because you have been given enough. There is evidence that is presented in a trial and a jury goes away and based on the evidence they come back with a decision. Each and every one of us will sit in jury over the identity of Jesus Christ. And you have heard the gospel's records. You have heard the testimonies of the saints. You have heard the testimonies of brothers and sisters. There is enough testimony before you to make the decision. And the Lord says, do not be unbelieving, but now step into that loving relationship with me. And his desire is to impart eternal life to you this, this very day. And so what I want to be able to do is to give every single person that, that wants to stop their unbelieving and to enter into believing, to accept that gift of salvation that, that John is writing about, that John has experienced in his own life, and that the purpose that John wrote is that you might believe, and that believing that you might have life in his name. How does that happen? It's very easy. You don't need to join a church. You don't need to join an organization. You just simply need to believe, to set aside your unbelief and to say, Lord, I believe. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that I am reconciled to God through you. I believe. And when you do that, by faith, by faith, you become a child of God and you enter into the kingdom. And so right where you're sitting, I want to invite everybody just to bow your heads and your hearts. And, and if tonight is the night that you want to go from unbelieving to believing, right where you're sitting, I'm going to invite you just to repeat after me and and to just say these very words, but, but mean them with your heart. It is the moment that you will be able to identify that you went from unbelieving to believing when you affirm the truths about Christ that he himself affirmed. And, and one of the truths that he affirmed is that in him is life. And that life he imparts to us. And so if you want to accept that gift of salvation, then just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I have not lived a perfect life. And Jesus, I invite you into my heart 
to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for sealing me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you for accepting me into your family. I thank you that I am now your child forever. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.